This is another episode of the Annoyed Not Offended podcast. For people who are never in a bad mood, everyone else is just annoying. And I'm your host, Sydney. Let's dive into what's getting under our skin this week. Okay, so what is up, you all? And welcome back for another episode of the Annoyed Not Offended podcast. Again, this is a podcast for the unoffended but constantly irritated individuals. Remember, it is not our fault. Everything is annoying. Um, as always, I'm your host, Sydney. Uh, my co-host Kendall is not here, so you guys are just going to be hearing from me today, along with my guest as we discuss the latest and greatest in the news of what has gotten on our nerves this week. And you guys, I really appreciate my guests for bearing with me for this episode. We initially recorded week before last, but due to some technical difficulties, I was not able to put the episode out, but you know, things happen. So again, I am super duper happy that she was able to reschedule and find a time in her schedule to chat with us. So please welcome Imani Wentz. She is the owner and creator of the Noor Bookshop dedicated to the Black experience. And you guys, welcome her to the show. Imani, do you want to give a quick introduction? Thank you for having me again. <laughs> um, no, uh, my name is Imani Wentz, uh, born and raised here in St. Louis. Uh, I'm the owner and creator of the Nora Bookshop. It's an upcoming Black concept bookstore here in St. Louis. It's dedicated to the Black experience. Um, so yeah, thank you all so much for having me on here. Not a problem again. I am looking forward to this insightful chat where we talk about literacy within the Black community, how Imani came to conceptualize um, the Nora Bookshop and some upcoming news that she may have just in terms of openings and other things that she's doing within the St. Louis community. So starting off with the very first segment, we have fed up or f***ed up. So for any new listeners, this is how we you know, get to know our listeners. Well, I mean, get to know our guests, essentially, because what better way to learn somebody than know about what gets under their skin? Um, I'm going to start off with what has gotten under my skin. And, you know, I can honestly say I'm going to get my pilot license soon because I cannot rely on airlines anymore. So you guys, I am actually on vacation. I am not recording this from St. Louis. I am in Phoenix, Arizona at the moment. Um, and you know, it started off as a vacation, but now I am still on vacation, but not by choice. Um, I will not complain considering I had a marvelous time outside of my last 48 hours due to a flight cancellation at the last minute by none other than lovely Southwest Airlines. So you guys, I was supposed to leave yesterday night, you know, um, checked out of the hotel, dropped off the rental, got to the airport right in time. And I promise you maybe 45 minutes or so before our departure time, they're like, Hey, you guys, <laughs> funny thing, funny thing. Um, your flight's canceled. We can try our best to figure it out, but more than likely you're not going to get out of here by tonight. So go downstairs and get your luggage toodles. And I was just like, I can't what? So I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe they'll rebook me for something later on that night. Um, sadly mistaken, after standing in line for probably an hour or so, they told us, yeah, everything going out tonight, unavailable, tomorrow, unavailable, earliest, maybe Monday. So I'm like, ah, cool, Monday, you say? 
sure. But ironically enough, um, Southwest Airlines actually canceled and delayed more than 10,000 Saturday and Sunday flights because of some storms and technology issues. So I was not the only stranded traveler. There were plenty of others uh, across the country who were pretty much in the same predicament as me. And I'm pretty sure when I called like customer service, they told me the waiting time was going to be about 120 minutes. So I knew then like, all right, no use, no use of me complaining. Just book a hotel, get out. And surprisingly, I forgot we have uh, relatives in Phoenix. So they were nice enough to let us stay at their home while they're gone. Um, but I was like, okay, extra PCO day. Oh, well, guess St. Louis won't miss me too much. Um, Imani, what has you fed up or fucked up this week? Hmm. Let me think about that. <laughs> There's so many things. It's like, it's always something. I promise you. There's always something. And I love the tagline for the podcast because it's like, it's not my fault that these things are annoying. No one's ever understood that about me where it's like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm just, that's just annoying. <laughs> Pretty know? much. Hmm. But let me think. Okay, so it's kind of like a, <laughs> it's it's a bit of like a nuance when people talk. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when someone says, I'm not trying to be rude, but, and then they say the thing that they want to say. Mm-hmm. But I realized it's when someone says, it's it's the it's the inverse of that. <laughs> they'll put the, They'll put the messed up thing in front and then follow it by, if you don't mind me asking. <laughs> And then it's like, what are you supposed to, it's, it's like, that's supposed to be the nice part of it. Like, how much did you pay for your car? If you don't mind me asking. That it's very bold up front. And then you try to like hide your hand at the end. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like you said, you just asked something like someone asked me flat out, what stage of your business are you in? If you don't mind me asking. Well, I absolutely do mind you asking. <laughs> First of all, what? Yeah, exactly. Mean by that, and why do you exactly need to know? If you don't mind me asking, (laughs) it's like, or how much? How much you pay for that? If you don't mind me asking, how does she die? If you don't mind me asking, (laughs) people can be so tacky. Like to me, that's such a tacky thing. If people do not have a willingness to give you the information up front, you should not feel comfortable enough to come behind them and ask. Uh, that's how I've always felt. That little like that's like putting LOL behind something offensive. <laughs> that's why your dog died. LOL. <laughs> just like what? It's like, girl, what? What that got to do? Nah, I definitely hate that too. And even then, again, if you if you do not know the information, sometimes it's not meant for you to know. It's if you have to, you to ask know. somebody, like, hey, so how did you do that? Like, so how did you get all that money to start that one thing that you did? So how long have you been recording your podcast? You don't have a sponsor yet. Like, how does that, like, girl, are you going to give me some money? Someone, and you know, that brings up a lot. There's there's the inverse to that. There's like, I've I've interviewed people before Mm -hmm. where they, maybe they're creative of a brand or they've been working at something for a very long time. And there's two sides to this. There's people who get online and they say, oh, you can pick my brain when that invoice is paid. And I think that that can be a bit snarky at times, but then there's also the types who don't answer questions, very direct questions, because it's like, hey, they spent a lot of time and money and resources working to figure this out for themselves. 
and years mastering a skill or a craft, and you're not going to come into their DMs on Instagram and ask them straight up where who are their vendors. No. Yeah. No. And my thing that. is, I think what it is, is a lot of time it's laziness. People want oh, to know the like workaround mm-hmm. kind of sort of thing that they want to do. Cause I've had people ask me plenty of times, like, so with your podcast, how did you start this? And how did you do that? And they want me to go step-by-step step and detail it. I'm like, you guys, I paid for a course that showed me how to do everything. I can give you that information for you to sign yourself up as mm-hmm. well, but mm-hmm. I am not going to spend all of my time coaching you through this, which is something that I had to do on my own. I feel like which it's nothing- And it's nothing wrong with trying to use people as a resource, but you have to be mindful of how you're using people. Yeah. And the relationship you already have. Yeah. And that definitely relates to, I guess, like where I, where I'm, I guess my, my journey in total as an entrepreneur and trying to start a bookstore, Mm -hmm. um, because there was so much that I didn't know that I needed to learn. And you, that's the beauty in like not knowing how to do something. You can start from the very bottom and just work your way up. And you can look back in a couple of weeks or a couple of months and a couple of years and think, oh my gosh, this very simple thing used to have me kind of stopped up, but Mm -hmm. look at how far I've come. Mm -hmm. And so there were so many things that I had to learn about a bookstore. And the simplest question was the most complex one. And that was, where did the books come from? How do I order them? How do I get them? Because it's not just going online and just ordering a bunch of books. It's not the same thing as if someone was starting a t-shirt line where mm-hmm. they know they can get wholesale t-shirts and hoodies and anything else that they wanted pretty mm-hmm. easily. The book the book world's not like that. And so I say all that to say, um, I'm, I'm not the type of person who's going to gatekeep information. But I see now on the other end of being an entrepreneur that the things that I stayed up late researching and spent weeks frustrated over until I finally cracked it, I'm not just going to give that information away Mm -hmm. because there's also other steps, i.e. things that I paid for to get that information, you know? So someone had messaged me before and they were like, oh, I'm interested in starting a bookstore, but I'm having trouble getting vendors. What do you suggest? Um, You don't know me, one. Two, (laughs) you basically just asked me directly, how do you buy your books? Basically. Where do you get yours from? And that's not, it's not a secret, but my thing is it points to you're not doing the research. How are you trying to start a bookstore when you're not doing the research? Because if you were doing the research, you would know there's a very specific way to get to get the books. And everyone in the book world who's actually started a bookstore or who's in that process, like we all start somewhere. And I started not knowing either, but you figured figured it out. out. (laughs) Yeah. And it's I figured it out. So you can't just ask people for things and expect them to just give you the whole recipe, you know, Mm -mm. so. When people ask me really kind of nosy, kind of personal, close to my chest questions, and then they say, if you don't mind me asking, it's like, yeah, I absolutely do mind you asking. And if I tell you, oh, I'm not going to answer that, are you prepared for that? (laughs) Are you prepared for me minding you asking? (laughs) But even then, in a lot of those situations, I'm always confused about like, what if you didn't know me? How else would you figure this out? Would you find somebody else to ask or would you take the time to research it on your own and figure it out? And because I have not responded, what's your next move? That's just so weird to me when people do that. And I mean, again, sometimes I feel like sometimes when people do that, it's coming from a good place. They want the knowledge. They want to be able to put those things in order. But again, it's like you're going about it the completely wrong 
way. If anything, I know when I've talked to people, even about podcasting, I never presented as, let me just outright ask this question. I'm more so like, hey, you know, I admire you, what you've done. I would love to chat with you for a few minutes, just about a few questions and leave it at that. Because a lot you of times to, people are busy. Value. There, there has to be value. And yes. what you're hinting at is like being genuine and like having a shared human experience, right? So a lot of times when people network, they go about it the wrong way because they're being way too direct about what they want when you should be focused on developing like the human relationship. Mm-hmm. So for example, my very first interaction with you was not you asking me to be on your podcast. You see what I'm saying? So yep. it's like, there's already a rapport there of me, like knowing who you were uh, outside of your podcast. And then you asking me later on, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep. So it, it's, I get that we're all trying to get somewhere. We're all trying to have like a good life of possibilities and all of that. But sometimes you have to move horizontally while moving vertically at the same time, you Mm -hmm. know? So I just, I just, I really stress like developing genuine relationships with people before just asking them for something because one, as an introvert, it's weird. (laughs) And two, that's just not how, that's not how you get things because it just, it just makes it seem like you're just, you know, parachuting in and, and using someone for their resources. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree. And I'm happy that you brought that up because I feel like it segues perfectly into the next segment, which is the make it make sense segment. Um, as we talk about the Noor bookshop and you guys, again, I am so happy to have Imani here today to chat about her concept bookshop dedicated to the black experience. Like even when I think about the term Noor, as a whole, I think of like black, I think about like abundance, fullness, joy, and just overall the many facets of the black experience. We we have such a rich culture and history, um, especially as African-Americans, even outside of like the black experience and the black um, diaspora, but just mm-hmm. in general, there is so much to offer. And I'm a lover of books. I feel like books allow you to experience so many realities outside of your own because you know when you read a good book it can literally take you to another content another time period just completely change the way you see something in general because you're completely immersed into the storyline this plot the characters and so forth there are plenty of books I feel like that have impacted me in a way that I'm like I could literally go into detail about everything that happened in that book just because it was so impactful. Um, And as I was doing my own research, just about like how literacy affects the Black community um, and just our own relationship with books, I was very, very, very disappointed and saddened by the lack of Black-owned bookstores in the United States. Uh, Not sure if any of my listeners are aware of this, but at the moment, there are only 124 bookshops that are Black-owned within the United States, which only make up 6% of indie bookselling companies. And there would be a lot more. However, we all know what racism affects everything. So, you know, during the 60s and 70s, uh, during the Black Power Movement and so forth, when there was an emergence of Black-owned bookstores selling literature supporting the Black liberation, 
the FBI was like, no, there was a nationwide attack on these businesses, calling them propaganda outlets for revolutionary and hate publications, and just overall trying to showcase those that supported this material as extremists. And this was something that I never took into consideration, thinking about like Black-owned bookshops and so forth. But just to know that there was already that wall put there, and to even think back further towards civil rights and slavery, they didn't want Black people to read. So why would there be the support of Black literacy within communicate within um within the communities in the United States? They didn't want they don't want to see it. But again, I am super happy to have Imani here to talk about her own experience with Noor, how she came to this conceptualization, and what this means for St. Louis. So Imani, would you mind telling us about how you even started with the concept of Noor and how this had been something that you wanted to do for um, a long time? Yeah, so back in 2018, I was thinking about throwing a some sort of annual book drive, and I wanted it to be I wanted there to be a DJ. I wanted to rent a space. I wanted there to be just people coming and bringing books that they could drop off and people could take books and it would be just something for the community that I could do every year. And I just saw it as an annual event. Um, and I, I, I remember writing this down in my journal and just really kind of like laying it, the, laying the whole thing out. And I don't know what happened, but the dream got deferred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in 2020, during the pandemic, I started collecting vintage copies of black literature because I became really enamored with different covers and different editions of how uh, classic books look throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at things on eBay. I started sourcing books from uh, thrift stores and all sorts of places. And since we were stuck in the house, everybody was just online. And so I created a, another Instagram account called the Little Noir Library. And the only purpose was just to post the books with these different covers. And I thought I'm in, co- when I was in college, that was the first time that I read Toni Morrison and James Baldwin. And I didn't grow up reading classic black lit. It wasn't really, it wasn't taught at all mm-hmm. um, outside of um, maybe like, what was the book by Harriet Beecher Stowe? Uncle Tom's Cabin. Mm-hmm. That's like the, the main book that they would teach that was black literature, but they definitely should have been teaching Toni Morrison and James Baldwin, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't read that until I was 23 years old. And so when I was stuck at home, I was thinking, how many other people haven't read these classic Black books? And so the goal was just to put books into the community. And so every book that I posted, people was buying it. Um, And there there was no effort to make a profit or to make money off of it. It was just fun. It was a hobby. I was at home. It brought me joy. Um, But also at the same time, I've always been a lover of books. I love to read. Uh, when I was a kid, I was the first kid to be able to read at preschool. And my grandmother and I, we shared books during the pandemic. Uh, we've always shared a love of books uh, throughout my life. And mm-hmm. I just discovered a couple of months ago, my grandma has a first edition of Malcolm X uh, autobiography when it first came nice. out. And she also has, um, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou when it first came out as well. Amazing. And so she shares a love of books with me too. And so I was putting the books in the community. Again, the dream kind of got deferred. Things went back to normal, but I really enjoyed doing that. And then at the end of 2021, I will say that there were a couple of things that happened between 2020 and now. Um, One, 
Kobe died. And that really just like rocked me. That really, I was really bothered by that. Um, because I was really, after he, after he passed away, I realized how multi-hyphenate of a, of a person that he was. And he did so many things outside of basketball that I just thought were amazing. And it just really showed that you're not a one trick pony and you can really go after all of the things that, that you're interested in mm-hmm. and just try it and do it and excel at it. And no matter what, he applied the same sort of work ethic. And it's like, what if, what if Kobe wasn't a basketball player? What if he wanted to be an engineer? What if he wanted to be a doctor? I think it was his worth work ethic that really just made him great, you know? Yes. And so it was Kobe passing away. Uh, Nipsey had died in 2019 and then Virgil died at the end of 2021. And all of those, all of those deaths just really impacted me in a way that made me feel like, why wait? Why wait to do the things that you're really passionate about and the Mm -hmm. things that may not look like what you first set out to do? Um, Mm -hmm. My background is in journalism. I'm a writer, a journalist, storyteller. And so most people in the community know me as a writer. I wrote uh, music for the Riverfront Times for about a year and a half. um, And I covered a lot of the creative community and Black music scene here in St. Louis. And so at the end of 2021, I was, I just remember I was at home. I was on my laptop and I started, I just went down this black hole of, I just remember seeing a video about a girl in Minnesota and how she started a black bookstore in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And so it took me down this rabbit hole of black bookstores. And then I remember I came across Reparations Club. The Reparations Club is a black bookstore in LA, but it's a concept bookstore. And I was really intrigued by the fact that it was like a concept bookstore. So I kept looking up more. And like now, you said, sorry to cut you off. Would you mind going into a bit more detail about the difference between a bookstore and a concept bookstore? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll use Reparations Club. So they, the concept is Blackness, right? So they're a Black-owned bookstore. All of the books are Black and Brown authors. Mm-hmm. But when you walk into the store, it just feels like blackness. Like it's like the way that it's designed, the way that everything in there is just centered Mm -hmm. around that feeling. So that's the concept versus you walk into Barnes and Noble, you're just in Barnes and Noble. It's just books. There's no, there's no flavor, no flair. And so if you, so the reparations club was just the tip of the iceberg. And that's what really led me down the rabbit hole of concept bookstores and just black bookstores in general. And I, I've saw so many YouTube videos and Instagram accounts and tags and reels. And it's like, I just knew that I was like, you know, I could do that for St. Louis. And I always wanted to have a bookstore and I already had the reputation with, you know, literature. And I was thinking, why wait, why not? And I decided I would dedicate at least one year of my life to seeing if it would work in St. Louis. And so I just went down this rabbit hole. And so I found for keeps in Atlanta, there's Harriet bookshop in Philly. There's so many, there's uh, Baldwin and co in new Orleans. There's um, reparations club. Like I said, there's salt eaters in Inglewood and all of these stores are concept bookstores and they're all so different, but they're all, they're very needed in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I was very, I knew that I wanted the store I knew that I wanted retail to just be one portion of the noir bookshop. So we're founded on three principles, education, inspiration, and community. Mm-hmm. And retail is just one leg of it. Um, whereas the other two pillars of inspiration and community, they kind of all act as a system of checks and balances. No, none of them are more important than the other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, 
I started the journey to open a bookstore in, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. Um, one thing that I think is very interesting that you touch on is just this whole concept of you already having this idea close to your heart, but kind of seeing over time it blossom into something mm-hmm. more. Um, and one thing that I was curious about, I know you said like a lot of times when you were first thinking about owning and, um, operating a bookshop, it kind of fell by the wayside just a few times. I was just curious as to, was there anything outside of, you know, kind of doing your own research that led you to like inching more towards, Hey, this is something I really want to do. Were there any moments like outside of you said, um, being on Instagram and seeing things that really stuck out to you on your journey? I, from the very beginning, I saw what my store looked like at the end. Amazing. Like, so you had that visual, visual, yeah, like every, once the idea, once I already had the idea in my head, right. Uh-huh. But once it was re-sparked and I decided on it mentally mm-hmm. and I got excited about it and I started working on it, like from the very beginning, I could see myself at certain stages. Like I could see myself having a pop-up. I could see myself at Profield. I could see the merch. I could see the books. I could see myself physically in the storefront. Actually, that's, that's, that's where I am right now. Nice. I could see myself in the store. Um, I could see myself opening day. I could see myself uh, a year from now. I could see myself five years from now. So from the very beginning, I could see where I would be with the store and it didn't feel like something that I was just doing. Like I could even see down the line to like me being pregnant and working behind the desk, you know, like I could, I could see like my kids. You could visualize that journey and really immerse yourself in being like, Hey, this is how this can not so much change the course of my life, but how I can pivot for this Mm -hmm. to fit my life, because this is something that I want to do. And one thing um, I also wanted to get into more is like, with the three pillars of NOR, um, education, inspiration, and community, in what ways do you feel like you're going to go about launching each area? Yeah. Um, so when I initially thought about the store um, and came up with the pillars, um, I kind of, I so I work for a tech company and uh, our company, we have three pillars that our company stands by. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very interesting because the company that I work for, we care a lot about company culture and we also care a lot about our product, but we also care a lot about uh, our, in our point of view in the industry, right? So those are the, the three pillars, product, point, thought leadership is what we call it in, in company culture. And sometimes when we lean too far on one side, it's like, you got to remember there are two other pillars here that make this company what it is. And so my role kind of helps keep that in check because I'm not on the science side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a communications girl, but at a tech company, so I am a woman in STEM. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, um, it's like, hey, I'm a scientist. <laughs> this is how I am always going to, like you say it regain focus because you don't want to lean too much into one area and people Mm -hmm. are like wait a minute I thought you said something about education why are you just having all these community fun kickback events 
Right. And so uh, that them having those three pillars really inspired me. Um, and also just working at my current current role, it, it's teaching me a lot about business and how to like start a business, run one and run one well. Um, and so when I think about education, inspiration, community being the pillars, uh, I say one, it's it's the Noir Bookshop's mission to educate the community on topics that center black and brown people. Um, so that's like programming. That's the books that I have. That's the book club discussion picks. That's community led panels. That's the author signings, um, short lectures and all of those things. That's the, the, the physical, tangible uh, books. It's the resources. It's, you know, I just put up a page about Nipsey Hussle for uh, the, to commemorate his life the other day. So it's things like that where it's like that's the education piece, the things that you can read and absorb and experience and uh, retain, basically. And so then when we move on to inspiration, um, on our website, you'll see it's the Noir Bookshop's mission to inspire the community through the materials, our product offerings, and our guests. So we also provide opportunities for entrepreneurs that are Black and Brown in St. Louis and abroad mm -hmm. to have their brands or their products sold in a storefront to have that Amazing. opportunity to see what it's like to have your the thing that you worked on so hard to be on the shelves. Like, it's, it's hard to get a brand in Target, in, in Walmart, in Ulta, in, you know, Nordstrom. So me being a bookstore and, and me saying it's my responsibility to support the community and to create a bookstore and a place and a hub and a headquarters and a space where people that look like who live in, on the South side, that's, it's very important. Um, too, so, when I think about bookstores in general, I think about them being welcoming and warm mm -hmm. and like you said being tailored to whatever audience um that they're trying to connect with so for instance um I know I've come across a lot of like more feminist mm -hmm. bookstores um in regards to the authors and the stories and even the magazines that they've introduced me to but in that essence that's what I was looking for at that moment and the programming and everything spoke to me specifically because I'm like hey this this relates directly to my values, to the vision I have for myself, and even for that community that I'm looking towards. Um, so again, I think it's amazing that for you to really hone in on this, because a lot of times I feel like I see people talk about like, not to, no, I'm not speaking down on nobody, not speaking down on anybody, but a lot <laughs> of times I see people develop um, products or services or even platforms and they really don't have an audience nor do they have any sort of pillars to fall back on it's just like oh it's completely entertainment and it's like well who are you trying to entertain what's going to be the focus like this I feel like that's something I even thought about with the podcast because I'm like mm -hmm. if I try to connect to everybody I'm not going to connect to anybody at all yeah so I feel like yeah. that itself having those pillars is like the basics. Yeah. Essentially. Um, but also the pillars serve another very real purpose. It, it serves as a, a check and a balance for me as a business owner to not get too in the weeds of uh, having a good heart, so to speak. So <laughs> while I would love to do all sorts of things for free for the community, the checks is uh, the checks. <laughs> so, so it's like, retail is very important to keep the space afloat, but also the other things as far as like community buy-in will also keep the store afloat. But on the times where I can't have events because I've got things going on, 
uh, yeah, I'm going to need y'all to come in and buy some books. <laughs> that's just, you know, that's just the way of the business. Um, but I was going to say the last pillar is community. And this one, I think this one's probably my favorite because, uh, like I said, if I could do all the things that a nonprofit could do, I definitely would. Um, but I just believe that it is a bookstore's responsibility to support the community where it resides. I don't think it's enough to just have a bookstore and put out books and just let people just come and get whatever they want. I think, I think it's up to the bookstore to also tailor certain events and programming and discussions and ways that they reach out into the community outside of their storefronts uh, to really make an impact. And so that's what I'm trying to do with the Noir Bookshop. It's not going to be uh, a community center or, you know, something like that, but it's going to be an upscale experience, an upscale Black accessible experience um, mm-hmm. that we can all relate to. For sure. And I feel like this is definitely an area of Black within St. Louis. I know last time we talked about um, I See Me Bookstore, mm-hmm. which again, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's a great Black-owned operated bookstore in St. Louis. However, I know their focus for a period of time um, has been more on like children's books and children's authors. And even then, I think you spoke to how they uh, offered Toni Morrison's, was it The Bluest Eye? Mm -hmm. For a Mm -hmm. period of time when Webster Groves had kind of taken it away from students. Yeah, so Winsville was the latest uh, school district that banned The Bluest Eye. Um, and I actually found out that I see me, they do a lot of, uh, a lot, they put a lot of banned books back in the community. And at that time they were focusing on the bluest eye, but yeah, they, they do a lot of great things in the community. Um, and it just speaks to what you were saying about it being less than 6% of black owned bookstores, uh, in the United States. And so I would really love to join the sort of coalition of black women, mainly who are opening bookstores and, I'm loving that they're all young, you know, like it's, 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 it's refreshing things that know a lot of things and just wanting to preserve their family history, but also black history. And I feel really honored to sort of be a part of that, of what I would call a, a coalition of black women doing that. Yes, for sure. And two, there are definitely so many aspects I see within the future of like black authors. Like, I feel like there's definitely been a resurgence of the Black Renaissance, probably Mm -hmm. within, Mm -hmm. I would say, like the last maybe five to seven years. Like, I definitely feel like there's been a surge in the amount of Black creativity, whether it be through television, music, just general artistry and creativity. There's definitely this boom. So I feel like now is the time to kind of, you know, relish in it and commemorate it and celebrate it because you know America as a whole we take so many steps forward just to (laughs) jump back and fall back into old old patterns um so again I feel like this is something that should definitely be supported and if anything promoted like hey (laughs) come on y'all come get these books come support the community that you're a part of and even see what we're doing to inspire and mold those younger minds because you know um as I was doing like my own research when they were just talking about the black literacy rates among children and they said among black children not so much that it's low all across the board but one um 
of the things that students often talk about in terms of there being a lack of interest in books is just the lack of seeing similarities between them and literacy characters, you know, that's the driver for their disinterest. And they also don't always have access to read stories and histories about people who look like them or Mm -hmm. are written by them. So for this to be, I feel like definitely a concept dedicated to them. They need that. Black kids need that. Um, There are so many things in the world that just diminish our light. And as a child, that's hard because, you know, you're always looking to someone or to something to make you feel like, okay, I can aspire to be this, or this is how I can like chart my path, so to speak. Um, So again, I think it's more culturally relevant now than ever. Um, What would you say was the most challenging aspect during the development of um, NOR? I think it's probably right now. At first, it was kind of feeling like not knowing if people were going to like it, not knowing if people if the city was going to be ready for it, but also uh, developing all of it by myself and then having to reveal the idea at the pop up. Mm -hmm. Um, But right now, I would say the most challenging thing is people knowing what step I'm on, because if people know right where you are then they can see the holes and try to fill in the gaps. And then they can try to offer themselves to kind of come in and co-opt what you're doing, you know? Um, And I haven't had anyone try to co-opt, but having people know exactly what step I'm on has been difficult um, because you, you tend to get a lot of questions. You get a lot of inquiries, you get a lot of like unneeded opinions. You get Mm -hmm. a lot of, Oh, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. Um, and it's, you have to be very careful and like keep details close to you and to, and with people that you trust, um, because for one, you don't want someone to try to take your idea or also you don't want your idea to get away from your original thought of what was on your heart. Yeah. And so I, I like to think about what was in my journal originally, what was I doing in 2020 when I first started this and how did I feel and how was I doing it? You know, and so the bigger that things become, I try to remember that, that, yeah, those are some really cool ideas, but does that make sense for what the core of what this is? Because you start saying yes to people to for doing things and collabing with people and doing all sorts of things. And next thing you know, you've gotten away from from who you really are. Um, so that's hard, but also feeling like I don't want people to think that I'm a mean person because I (laughs) have a business to run and I can't say yes to everything. Well, that's, I feel like that's definitely something that people have to come to an understanding on their own. Cause at the end of the day, like you said, this is my baby. This, this has been birthed by me. Um, it was formed by my own creativity, my own funds, and that's how it's going to continue to be. Um, if anything, people can keep their opinions to themselves because a lot of times it serves no one but themselves even when they mean it from a place of like genuine um (coughs) genuine interest it's just like why not admire the things that I've already done why not give me a pat on the back and say hey you're doing amazing that you brought that up keep up the good work and I feel like the best example that helped me understand that concept was was this imagine that you spent a really really long time creating a a red pair of shoes and you spent all this time like crafting it getting the soles right getting the the width right everything the lace design all of it 
this beautiful pair of red shoes. And then you present it to the world and someone says, oh, you should do those in yellow. <laughs> and it's like, you can't appreciate what I just did. You can't appreciate all the hard work. They don't know those 127 hours that you put into those shoes. All they're going to say is, oh, you should have done them in yellow. Or Tyler, the creator says this. He's like, just for you to tell me. He's like, I put all of this on, on, I put all my soul in the music just for you to tell me it's not good from your lunch break. He's like, I did all of this stuff. I lived all this life. I have all these experiences. And I, I spent so much time and money and effort and sleepless nights and tears and BS on this album just for you to listen to it on your lunch break and tell me you don't like it. People can keep the opinions to themselves. <laughs> and a lot of times what's so interesting to me with these critiques and advice that people give is most of these people haven't created anything before in their lives. Right. They have not. Right. right. They have not put the time, the effort, the consistency, half, they have not done half of what you've done. So for them I'm to come in that way. Something I've never done. Like you don't, here's the thing. People can say everything that they want. And I'll be thinking to myself, how many bookstores have you opened? <laughs> how many? <laughs> Answer quickly. <laughs> Honestly, no, again, why, <laughs> why are you not coming to me to say, this is amazing. I love what you did here. This concept, this design, this event. Yes, we need more of it. Keep doing what you're doing. That is the only, I feel like, those are the only comments that you should be offering to somebody, especially again, how we just say it. Black-owned bookstores are far and few. Anybody putting forth that effort to join that coalition of an already very small portion of the community that is, you know, often overlooked. What is your critique going to do, sweetie? Think about it. I want y'all to think about it. Please, please. You know, there are people who are upset that I'm putting books in the community. Speak, that sounds like, speak that, on sounds, it. Wait. that sounds like some 1619 energy. If you no, wait, 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 <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh-uh. Speak to it. There are people... What experiences have you had with people having like negative feedback? I'm just curious because I don't see how in the hell you could be negative about a book. It'll just be like snide little comments sometimes about like from the way that I take pictures of things to what did I include in a picture to uh, trying to see if it's actually going to happen or like asking questions on the slide. You know, it's like I, I peep it all, you know, but it's. I don't really focus on that because there's so many people that are enjoying this and who are excited for it and who are like liking every post and sharing and really excited. And your haters cannot be your motivators. It has to be the people <laughs> that love and support you. Like, yes. and, and that's facts. That's facts. Like it has to be the people who love and support you because you don't want, I don't want resentment to ever fuel me to do anything because mm -hmm. that's not that's not a that's not a good enough reason for a why because and it's, it's not healthy because people right. who hate it's, people who exactly. hate they move on they may not always dislike they go find something else to hate on and then you just go be there still trying to prove a point still yeah trying to and do it's whatever. like just move on with your life just move on mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't i try not to focus on that too much um but something that i'm really that i'm really loving right now because let's let's talk about that what i'm really enjoying yes right now about the journey uh, is when other women who own bookstores follow me on Instagram nice. or they'll, they'll contact me or like 
it feels like a secret little club because it's, you know, <laughs> we're all doing the same thing. And it's like, I'm 28 in St. Louis doing this. Uh, sis is 27 in KC doing this. Other girl is 29 in Inglewood doing this. Other girl is 30 in Atlanta doing this. And like, we're all the same age essentially. And it's, it just feels like a kind of like a sorority of just black women, black women in books. Like, and I, I love that. I would love to have some sort of like meetup. That would be cool. That's great. That's great. And I feel like with things like that, it is, it's, it's its own sisterhood because only you all know what the journey looks like. Even though I'm sure the journey has been different for everybody, you still know what it's like to have to be like, okay, let me brainstorm. What is the concept of the bookstore going to be about? Okay. What kind of vendors am I going to look for? How am I going to go about getting my vendors? Um, how am I going to go about keeping my customers and keeping these people coming back even then what Mm -hmm. kind of community programming works best for my area or what kind of speakers what connections and network do I already have so I'm sure within that realm it's kind of just like you know what I'm happy to have what I have and I'm happy to see how we can continue to grow and expand because again with things like this I feel like it's only up from here just mm-hmm. because again there is such a strong need for this within every community i feel like black people as a whole we we've done so much and we've brought so much just in terms of creativity intelligence you know just love everything we've brought all of that mm-hmm. to the world but time and time again we're put on the back burner so if anything now is our time to shine especially when it comes to literacy, when it comes to, like you said, these engagements around education and community and inspiration. Um, I feel like I had one other question, but now it's slipping my mind because I feel like you answered everything. Um, <laughs> is there let's anything? Books. Yeah, let's talk about books. I did have one question for you as well. You describe yourself as a well-read Black girl. Can you get more into that descriptor that you have of yourself? Um, you know, to be honest, like, I feel like to other people, I may seem well-read. And like, I know that that's a true statement. But when I think about all of the things that I want to read, it's overwhelming. And (laughs) I was thinking one day, uh, do they have books in heaven? Like, are there books in heaven? Like God knows what I want. Like he knows what I like. So I imagine that there has to be, but what kind of stories what are they about? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think about that. Um, but also think about, oh my gosh, what if I live to be like 90 or 99 or like a hundred or very old. Right. And then I'm still thinking about what books I want to read. And I'm like, my time is almost up, bro. (laughs) I'm not going to read them all. I think about things like that, like, man. And so that's what, that's what led me to wonder if there were books in heaven. Um, what was the question? You talked about being, uh, I feel like you mentioned this on something before, being a well-read Okay. So yeah, I think about all the books that I want to read. Um, but I'm glad that you asked that because people ask me all the time, like, how do, how do you find time to read? And then someone asked me a couple of weeks ago, do I feel like, is my reading still on par now that I'm starting a business? Do I have time to read now that I'm starting, now that I'm opening a bookstore? That's and a you, good would question. That, <laughs> you would think that I could just sit around. Well, my store's not open yet, so we'll see. But 
so far, I haven't really been able to kind of like lay around and read like I would usually do. Um, so when I in like in my regular life before starting a store, I would feel uh, if I was if I had a lot of things going on and I was really busy or I had assignments for work or I had a lot of just things that I had to do, I would feel like I couldn't read for leisure. And I feel like a lot of times, especially now with capitalism and people trying to make ends meet and the pandemic, and there's this constant pressure to always be self-improving, to always be like hashtag hustle mode, hashtag grind time, girl boss to, you know, always, you know, people on social media telling you to buy their course and to take their ebook and how you can turn 10000 and $10 into 10 million in 10 no, minutes, you know, no. things like that. A lot of people... And especially in our community as Black folks, when we read, it's always to get ahead, to get further, to, to, to be able to function in the capitalistic society. And when you ask, let me give you an example. You ask any well-known Black man about books. It's going to be say... something about like 48 Laws of Power. It's going to be Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's going to be something with Sick of it. It's going to be, but the point is, it's going to be books that have to do with like wealth and financial literacy and like getting ahead and which is fine. Those are all great resources, um, except for 48 Laws of Power. Those are all great resources if that's what you're interested in. But I don't believe, but I think that so many people aren't reading for leisure because there's the constant pressure to be a constant DIY project to get that's ahead. Further, very, I'm, to that's make, a very interesting take because I can definitely see that being a thing because you know mm -hmm. even for a period of time she's not on television anymore but you know like Oprah's book club yeah a majority of those books that I remember seeing her promote would be about mm -hmm. self-love self-care um, yeah. she even promoted that one book that was kind of hilarious where it was called like why men love bitches or something yeah mm -hmm. stuff like that it's, it's i was always like so confused or like something by a psychologist or like a, a life coach like very much Brene brown right and so those things are fine but what about the other stories like why why are you not seeing success super successful people saying my favorite book is james baldwin's if bill street could talk or I remember reading Maya Angelou's uh, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, or I love Toni Morrison, or I just read Britt Bennett's new book, or I just read Yaga Yasi, I just read Colton Whitehead, you know? And the only people that I hear talking about that um, tend to be people who just love books. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just love books. But one of my favorite people whose like book journey that I love is President Obama because he was president for eight years. He's been in politics for a very long time. He went to Harvard. Um, he considers him, the United States considers Barack Obama to be the president known as the scholar, which I love because he loves to read. And he's talked about that uh, in books that he's written. He's talked about that in interviews. And every year I love seeing what books that President Obama read that year. And so his final year in office, the New York Times did an article about him and about what was on his reading list and like what it was like, uh, like what he liked to read when he was at, as a president. Mm -hmm. And he said, they asked him, how does he find so much time to read? Because that year he read like 30 something books mm -hmm. and they were like, are you reading, are you listening to audiobooks? Like, how do you have, how do you find the time to read so much? And he was like, well, I love to read. And so I make time for it. And so he was like, being a president was the loneliest job he ever had in his life. And so to get away from that, he just liked to read. 
And so he, he, he said books were his escape and they always have been. And so it was interesting because if you look back on those years and you look at those lists, the books that President Obama was reading were current bestsellers of that year. So he was staying up to date on what books were popular, what books were in, and I'm sure his daughters were bringing him things or just, but the point is when you love something or when you, something's a priority for you, you'll make time for it. So to say, oh, I don't have time to read. You absolutely do because the leader of the free world made time to read. And he said that he would read really late at night and he wouldn't go to bed till like three or four in the morning because he just wanted to read. And two, I feel like one thing that you also mentioned with him finding time to read because he loved to, he found that as a sense of relaxation. That was something that Mm -hmm. brought comfort to him. And and he was able to release that anxiety and stress that was put on him 24-7 by his um, duties of being president. I know I'm a Mm -hmm. person that also likes to read. Um, I do find those moments where I go through, well, not moments, but I go through those periods of time where I read like five books within two months or something or like six books within two months and then I might go three months and not read anything and I'm like girl what are you (laughs) doing like you get back pick up a book regardless of if it's 30 minutes when you have time an hour before bed or when you wake up Saturday morning before you run errands like make that time because in the end I've always noticed that finishing a good book to me is so satisfying. Yes. Like starting and finishing and literally that plot, seeing how the characters put it down. Oh, that'd be the best part. (laughs) Oh, I love a book that I cannot put down. I'm trying to think of a book recently that I had like that. Um, I think the last book was okay. While you're thinking that mine was, uh, Monday's Not Coming by Timothy <gasps> Jackson. So that I have not I read, read that. I, I read have not read it, but I have read the, um, what is it like the reviews about the book? And I've heard that it is phenomenal. It's it's a heavy topic. We have it, we have it in stock. Okay. So you gonna make me go ahead and, and jump into <laughs> my book fun. Cause it's a, I know it's a heavy topic. Um, and it speaks to a lot about like mental health, depression, even that relationship and bonding between teenagers. Um, yeah. And, and also uh, sex trafficking, uh, themes of kidnappings, protect black girls, um, all of that uh, child protective laws, mm-hmm. you know, trigger warning the galore for the book, but uh, it's phenomenal. I read it in two, day, two days. Like mm-hmm. it was that book where if I had meetings for work, I would, I would, I could not wait to get out of these meetings so that I could read. Or uh, if I had something to do, I would just like hurry up and do my little, whatever I was doing and get back to reading. And it, that book is phenomenal. Uh, another book that made me feel like that, Kindred by Octavia Butler. Read that in like three days. Oh, it was so good. Such a page turner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my first time reading like science fiction. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big sci-fi person. I know like my senior, it was weird. My seat, well, not weird, but my senior year of college, I remember probably right my senior year and then maybe two to three years after graduation, I went through a period of 
only reading autobiographies like I read the autobiography of Gucci Mane which was phenomenal I didn't I didn't know I would find so much interest that first chapter had me like okay (laughs) I didn't know I would find that much interest in Gucci Mane but I was like okay um I love Gabrielle Union we need more wine I feel like that was a phenomenal autobiography um I went I read the autobiography of the comedian Miss Pat have you heard of Miss Pat before? Mm-mm. She's hilarious. Um, I think she has her own scripted series on. Did you read Michael Brown's else. mother's memoir? I did not. I feel like something like that might be a little too heavy for me going into it just because I already know. Well, what that, a lot of people said that, but here's the thing. She doesn't talk about it. She doesn't talk about uh Ferguson until the end of the book but it's 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 more so about that day through her eyes and not more so like the book is about um the the book is called tell the truth shame the devil on life as I think it's like my life as Michael Brown's mother or something like that um but the book is so good I could not put it down like it's about her life as his mother like not about him like she's the main character with him as like the background, you know, like she, it's more so about like, here she is in St. Louis in this year. She's like in high school, what it was like growing up, her cousins, what she used to do on the North side, uh, her being in the DSEG program. And then she meet Mike's daddy and like, you know, like it's got good dialogue of like their relationship and like, you know, it's real cute. Like you feel like you're there and you feel like you're in it. And I guess, and like, I guess that's something that shows a different side Yeah, to her. Yeah. And it's great because especially if you're from St. Louis, you can just pick up on everything that she's saying. And like she, it's written in the way that she actually speaks. And so uh, it's just, I thought it was phenomenal and it came out so fast after everything, but um, it's called Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil by Leslie McSpadden. Um, and I just think she was a really great mom. And I think that her perspective on her son's life and like her perspective as a mom and like all the things that she did, uh, to raise her kids and like coming from her own, you know, mouth, it's such a good book. It's such a good book. Okay. So it won't make you sad. it'll make you feel like, wow, this is inspiring. Okay, so I'm definitely going to have to pick that up. I think the last book that I read, I had to remember the author, but um, Britt Bennett with The Vanishing Half. You know, I still haven't read that. It's so good. And the reason why, okay, so I had it also, uh, and I loaned it to a friend. I have not read it because I have a very strict rule about not reading bestsellers when everybody else is reading bestsellers. And my reasoning for that is because it just don't be feeling real. It And like, you know, I love it for the author because all these people are buying the book and getting, putting mm-hmm. money in the author's pocket, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But when people, when everybody's reading the same book at the same time, I can't get into it. I can't do it. So I came about Brit because of her book before The Vanishing Half, The Mothers, the mothers. Mm-hmm. which I loved. So when I heard about The Vanishing Half, I was like, okay. I'm going to have to get to this. And I know you talked before about you and your grandmother um, 
having a relationship on loving books and her Mm -hmm. like giving you book recommendations and so forth. And my grandma's the same way. She's a reader. I'm a reader. So she actually bought the book and she was like, have you read, do you know who Brett Bennett is? I'm like, yeah, I read the mother. She's like, I read Vanish and Half. Here you take it, hurry up and read it. It's really, really, really good. So she kind of pushed me towards it, but I already had that inkling like, okay, just based on the premise, it's going to be amazing. Um, what was another book I read that was really you good? You know what's funny about that is my grandma asked me about the book and I had it and I gave it to her and she read it and then she gave it back to me and was like, oh girl, you need to read this. And I never read it. And I, I gave it to someone else. And I'm just like, oh, now nah. like I still, okay. So event, the vanishing half and such a fun age came out around the same time, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I was part of that group of people that did not like such a fun age. Like I just could not, I yes. think it was because it was so real with like the microaggressions. It was irritating me. Like yes. the characters were yes. irritating me. And I was like, this is the first time I've ever not liked a book because I don't like a character so much. I have such a fun age at home and I read it over the summer. And like you said, everybody talked about it being so good, but I guess just as a black person, I was already like, this makes me uncomfortable. Like this is yeah. something that I already experienced and see other people experiencing. So to read about it, I mean, again, I get books are supposed to showcase the time period they in and speak to those real issues. But it's like, girl, let me get out of my own reality for just a second. Um, but also it felt like the author, I felt like she was pandering. Because uh, some of the conversations, like some of the things that that she was writing, like the dialogue, I'm thinking, do you have black girls that are friends? Because we don't talk like that. Oh, you're talking about her friends who, uh, it was like her best friend and her two friends that live together. Yeah, it was like the way that they wrote, the way that the dialogue was written. I'm thinking like, black girls don't talk like this. Like, this is not, I just thought it was odd. I didn't, I didn't like the, the white boyfriend. Like I just didn't. And, and let me tell you, I didn't finish it because I was fed up. I couldn't do it. I draw the line. Well, Hey, it happens. It definitely happens. Not every, I feel like not everything is for everyone. And especially within you said those, like those things of being like, Oh my gosh, this is a bestseller. Like it has to be great. No, that's not always the case. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I'm trying to think of another book. What would you say is a book that has stuck with you? Like, what is one book that you can say, like, you've read it, you've recommend it, you've reread it, or like, if anybody asks you anything about it right now, you, it literally takes you back to how you felt reading it. Um. Okay, so there's there's two because I'm never there's two and a possible, and I'm gonna explain that. So at my pop up, a woman um, named Jasmine, shout out to you, Jasmine, if you're listening. Uh, she that was the first time I met her, and she came with her husband and her kids, and she was really nice, and she was telling me uh, that she had heard about the pop up because she'd seen the flyer with Toni Morrison, and she was like, Toni Morrison is an inspiration of mine, mm-hmm. and. I thought that was beautiful because I've always been a person that um, I can never choose my favorite this over anything. Like I can never choose just one when someone asks, what's your favorite X, Y, and Z, you know? And I'm trying to figure out, I've read so many books, I've read so many things, but now that I'm opening a black bookstore and I have all of these books that I've never even heard of 
from different genres and like radical books and books about black power and black liberation and you know social mm -hmm. justice and all sorts of things even archaeology um, wow i'm wondering what's who's going to be what's going to be my thing like what's going to be my author you know like i like tony morrison i like you know zora neale hurston i like all the greats but i'm wondering who's in a way, whose who's discography, whose catalog am I going to fall in love with? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, because when I was a kid, that was Beverly Cleary and Judy Bloom for me. Like I read all the books that they wrote. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm an adult, it's like, whose books am I going to read that I'm just like, that's my favorite author. When I was a kid, I could tell you my favorite author. How many kids can do that? You know? And so now I'm just wondering, what am I going to discover that's going to make me feel like a kid again? Mm -hmm. And right now I'm wondering if it's Maya Angelou. Interesting. Because, okay, so <laughs> I'm going straight to hell for this. So, okay, Maya Angelou, <clears throat> lover, great mm -hmm. gowns, beautiful gowns, wonderful poems. Um, I used to not be able to read her books or any of her poetry because... Maya Angelou had a very specific voice, right? Yes. And like, great, wonderful. But like, when I would read her books, I could hear her voice in my head. And you know, like my, Dr. Angelou, she kind of talked a little bit slower. Like she had a very specific, intentional cadence, right? That's just yes. how she spoke. And I couldn't get past that in my head. And I would like, it would feel like I was reading too slow. It, it, it's very stupid, but <laughs> this was like some years ago. Mm-hmm. But now I'm rereading and trying again, and I'm seeing so much of myself in her stories. And I'm, I've read up about how uh, Oprah came to meet her and how Oprah fell in love with Maya Angelou because they had so much in common. And Oprah said that Maya Angelou became her mother. Like that's, that's the kind of relationship that they developed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering what's going to be my favorite author going forward. And I feel like it might be Maya. Um, but to answer the other question, so there was this book that I read when I was a kid called Hatter Fox and it's by Marilyn Harris. And it's about a Navajo Indian woman living in uh, New Mexico. And she's pretty much kind of uh, lost to the system. She's on drugs. Uh, she didn't have parents or anybody, no family. And she uh, had been like sex trafficked uh, for most of her adolescent life. Mm -hmm. um, and so the book is about a psychiatrist who is on his first assignment. He's at his first uh, hospital once graduating and finishing his residency. And so she's in a psychiatric hospital and he basically goes and talks to her every day or tries to get her to open up because all of her doctors and therapists that she's had before they weren't successful with her and like rehabilitating her and mm -hmm. so the book was about the sort of bond that they shared and like him getting to know her and him uncovering like her family trauma and it really shed light on a lot of the issues that Native American people go through in the U.S. Um, especially living on reservations and uh alcoholism, sex trauma, wow. um, those sorts of things, because it's very pervasive in the United States. Um, and talking about poverty and like lack of uh, education and stuff and things that happen on reservations. But also looking back on that book, I'm not sure why it resonated with me so much. And I think it was because it was the first book that I'd ever read that um, the, the ending just hit me like a ton of bricks 
because I I became so invested in this character mm-hmm. and so uh, like on her team and just I thought I think the writer took a very did a very good job of bringing you along her highs and her lows and making you care about her books that make you care about the characters are the most dangerous ones because yes you're like what do I do now because you're like I missed them and this wasn't even real (laughs) you know so oh my gosh so you talking about that do you remember the book was it tears of a lion Mm -hmm. oh my gosh I cannot remember the name of it but there was a book in high school that felt like that with me um I had like a a black English teacher my freshman year and we read this book it was by a black author it kind of reminded you of like the blue for high series sort of speak Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. the premise was about um a black boy who was on his high school's basketball team, um, star athlete, good student, um, and kind of just like, you know, that, that star kid in his family. Like he had a younger sibling, he looked up to him. And in the very beginning of the book, he gets into a car accident with his best friend and his best friend dies because um, either it was his injury or like the car caught on fire and they were only able to pull him out and throughout the book he just battles depression feeling guilty and Mm -hmm. you just see all of these different areas of his life suffer and literally by the end of the book Imani I was in class crying like somebody was in class I remember there was a (laughs) one of my classmates was like I know you're not crying Sydney and I was like no because no, I could not deal with this. I yeah, relate it, too it, much it, to it, this character and I was rooting for him. And if it be three o'clock in the afternoon, you you didn't read that book at, at 10 a.m. You still thinking about it like, wow. And and it's over. And those characters aren't real. There's no follow-up. There's and no I think I think the thing too about the book was he was in high school, he was around our age, he played a sport, he had friends, he was a good student like he really wanted to go off to college and kind of make something of himself but it was still just how this traumatic event just reshaped the whole course of his life that I think it was just so eye-opening because as teenagers you think oh the world is my oyster you don't think of things like death unless that's something that's happened to you at an early stage so to speak so for the author to kind of shape that into his character narrative. And again, you just see him change over the course of the entire book. I was just like, that's one book that definitely stuck with me. Um, another book that I loved, uh, Perfect Peace by Daniel Black. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh. I now, seen the cover. I'm, I'm good with covers, but not knowing. Whoop. Now this was another book that I don't, I wasn't in high school when I read this. I might have been in college, but the premise of the book is so unique. Like I'd never, I've, I'd never read a book like this and I don't, and I haven't seen anything um, since then of like a similar vein, but basically the book is set in the 1940s and it is set in Arkansas or some, some Southern, some Southern state, but basically the book is around this family where the mother has six boys and she's pregnant and she's about to give birth to her seventh child. And 
she is so tired of having boys and becomes so blinded by wanting to have a girl child that she I feel like I know what you're about to say she raises this seven child as a girl even though the child was born male and this is set back in the 1940s so dad wasn't in the room just her and the nurse and she literally sets the trajectory of this child's life up from telling everybody this is a girl up until the child's I think seventh or sixth wait, birthday. Wait, 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 and and tells them wait, you're wait, a boy. Wait. Stop, because I'm interested, and now I have to read it. You, oh my god, is the book so, still in print? Yeah, yeah, it is. Let me like I pulled it up. It was published in 2011. Who wrote it? So, uh, Daniel Black. And it's in the upfront. It tells you that she tells um, wow. the child he was born male. But the story, I, I feel like it's been a while since I've read it, but the story itself takes um, on- 4.7 stars out of five. It must because be it's so unique. Like they, t- they, t- they talk on things such as child abuse, sexism, racism, gender identity, and so forth. Because literally, she had this baby raising it in a house full of men as a little girl. And the child looks like a little girl. And the child's name is, um, it's, um. So the dad never changed a diaper? It's, is a child's name perfect or is it peace? Oh, it's perfect. You said, did the dad never change the diaper? Mm-mm, no. Again, it's oh. set like. As you're reading it, you think these things because you're like, why would the dad not change the diaper? How would nobody? But how the mother goes about hiding this is so like twisted. And in a way, she has her own trauma, which caused her to do this. But just how the whole thing plays out, like it literally starts from the moment the child is born up until like they're adults. And you get the perspective of everybody. You get the mother's perspective, the father, the child, the siblings, everything. And it's a black family. So they talk about like, in general, the family being generous and stubborn and even their plight of living in Arkansas in the 1940s. And I think they were sharecroppers and even in their background and so forth. It's an amazing book. One of my, one oh, of my like, favorites. I need to order that because you sold it to me. It's because so what it's literally, literally, and they answer all of it. And I feel like the, the job is just, I mean, the book is just beautifully written because it's a story that sticks with you. Um, another one of my favorite books, which is a little bit more cliche. I love the coldest winter. I haven't read that yet. Am I what? a black girl? <laughs> Okay, so my grandma gave it to me because she read it. 
So the funniest thing about the coldest uh, winter ever is that my mom had this book because my mom's also a reader, but my mom had this book and she had always wanted me to read it. But my mom was like, some of the content within the book is a bit graphic. So she would always tell me to wait. But me being a reader, girl, I used to sneak and read books. So I, <laughs> I found the book, I think at another relative's house. And I read the book in like two days because I was already over there. And then when I got older and my mom was like, oh, like, I think it's time you should read this book. I'm like, girl, I read it, but I already read it. I read it again, but I already read it. But The Coldest Winter, I think it's one of those books that everybody has to read because the thing about the book, the I don't know where it is. The thing about the coldest winter ever is that like, you know how in so many other books, you get to see a character's progression. Winter, the main character of the book is so stubborn. She does not grow throughout all of the experiences and her family life and everything else that's detailed throughout the book. She doesn't change as a person. And it's like you're rooting for her, but you get to the point where you're like halfway done with the book and you just like, fuck it. (laughs) Because she does not learn. Like, I don't want to give anything away, but. I got to read it. I have it somewhere. It's so many other things that happen to her and so many people in her life change and she just refuses to. She refuses and she continues to be stubborn. So by the end of the book, what happens, it, it makes sense. And I think I like until the interesting thing about Sister Soldier is, you know, she's a political activist and she herself has a very unique background um, being born on the East Coast. I believe her her mother is an immigrant from Trinidad. Like she has some um, West Indian heritage but even how she brings some of her own insight growing up in the 80s and 90s seeing the crack epidemic on the east coast and seeing the hip-hop culture like she brings a lot of those elements to the story which make it like super duper eye-opening but again the coldest winter ever is definitely in a league of its own I didn't like the sequels at all yeah Um, I heard that I need to go I need to go back and read I don't like the sequels because you know sometimes like sometimes sequels can be amazing Mm -hmm. they continue the trajectory of the character the storyline progresses it's even more eye-opening and you're like okay I, I love this character even more like I am still rooting for them but I feel like with the CODIS whenever it doesn't give me that. Like even in her other book where she talks about Winter's sister, the progression of the book is too fast. And I'm like, I don't, this doesn't feel real. And I think that's the reason why so many people like the coldest winter ever. Like that was some real shit. You can (laughs) see this happening to somebody because again, when you think about it's said in like the 1980s, just thinking about all of that and taking that into consideration, you like, I can definitely see this happening. Um, Trying to think of anything else, books. I loved Eric Jerome Dickey, RIP to such Mm -hmm. a wonderful writer. That's another author that I've always loved, even though his, some of his content was a little bit too old for me to be reading as a teenager, just considering some of like 
the graphic sex scenes and so Mm -hmm. forth, Mm -hmm. I still feel like he was somebody who was able to make you laugh and cry within the same book, just because he was so, he was just so articulate and understood the intricacies of the Black community, whether it be about interracial dating, having a child with somebody and no longer being in love with them, or even falling in love and out of love. Um, I feel like he did a wonderful job of that. Um, So that's always been somebody that's on my list. I know this author, she's white. Have you ever heard of Ellen Hopkins? Maybe. Oh my gosh. That's after this, I'm done, but that was one white lady who I loved. <laughs> she had, she, so her books, I'm trying to think of how I can explain it, but she would have these really thick books. She wrote young adult novels, but her books would be like this thick. But the thing is she wrote in like poem form. So, yeah. So on the pages, it wouldn't be very text heavy yeah but the story she would tell I feel like were completely different from my own I feel like I I didn't grow up having a sheltered life but pretty safe childhood close to my family only child so forth but all of her books girl her books were they were a little bit graphic in terms of the the subject matter oh she touched it all she would talk about drug use um, self-harm, suicide, ideation, sex trafficking. What were the name of her books? Um, I literally, somebody, it's so funny that we're talking about books now because I literally just saved me where somebody was like, why was I obsessively reading these at age eight? Like, why was I reading some Something of like the darkest? like the Crash series? Yes, yeah, so like okay. Crank, yes. Bird, My cousin was Impulse. obsessed with those. Because obsessed. it was so- And she would read them so fast. It was so good. Again, the content is very dark. Like literally you're reading about teenage drug use, sexual abuse, self-harm, suicide, like sex trafficking. But I feel like I even learned about her background and she actually had a daughter who battled drug addiction. So that kind Mm -hmm. of inspired her writing. But just to read about it, it was kind of showing you how easily people can fall into that lifestyle and how you think, oh, you know, this is just, this is just a phase of my life when in reality, it's a lot darker than that. And she would always touch on, I feel like these other parts of teenage life that weren't always highlighted. Cause you know, a lot of times young adult novels, nice and fluffy and cute, Mm -hmm. like even the TTYL series like oh me and my best friend talking about boys and latest drama in high school like no her books were dark (laughs) yeah yeah wow so I think my cousin was like they have kind of like 13 reasons why vibes yes yes and it's so funny you said 13 reasons why because somebody was talking recently about I guess it being so long since they released the Netflix series um, inspired mm-hmm. by the book. And I was like, not trying to be funny, y'all. As much as I love 13 Reasons Why, that was one book that I feel like should not have been made into a TV show. I feel that way about that book, Normal People. 
I never read normal people. What is that? You don't need to. No disrespect to sis. Sally Rooney, baby. I get it. But (laughs) it wasn't for me. It's just like sometimes it takes the, I don't know. Like it takes the depth out of it. If I feel like if I'm explaining it, I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, but a lot of times with TV shows, like you're not hearing the characters innermost thoughts and feelings. It's just like showing all of these different scenes. And yes, they, they can do some things to kind of try to show that. But when you're reading, you're literally full picture, you get the full picture. You are in their mind from start to finish of it. Yeah. Even with 13 reasons why I remember when the book first came out, it had a map. So as you're reading the book, you could pinpoint all of these locations where things happen. And you could kind of see the intricacies of like the location and proximity to other things, which makes sense. What do these white kids be doing? Like why in these, like in these stories, like they be having the most grown lives and just like, I was eating cheeseburger hot pockets and like hanging out with my dog. Like I just, I wasn't murdering anyone in the woods and trying to keep it a secret while also getting ready for prom. Like I just, (laughs) you know, like it happens so much in these movies and shows and it's like, they're trying to keep a secret. It's like five white kids did something they shouldn't have. Alcohol was involved. One thing led to another, somebody cute died. And now we're trying to figure out who died. It, how they died and now six of us got to keep it a secret but now we're all falling apart our senior year <laughs> like and it's just I'm like and y'all look every bit of 30 where are the parents you know what's so funny that is that's a good point I never thought about it like that because there are the books that are you know the characters are white where you do hear about alcoholism drug abuse and sexual uh, sexual abuse like even do you remember the book speak Yes, I was going to bring that up because it reminds me, it fits into that category. And I thought the movie was pretty good. I thought the movie was pretty good. They chose the, they chose the best actress for, for that. Um, Kristen, what's her face? Yes. Twilight. <laughs> yes, because she, she, that, you know what? It's funny you bring that up because that was probably one of the better book to movie portrayals because she mm-hmm. kind of embodied the awkwardness of the character yeah not knowing how to move through the school after being assaulted and even having to come face to face with the rumors and people always asking her like why have you changed so much um yeah I don't know I feel like the white young adult section very much on the scope of touching on those more traumatic subjects but then I feel like some black books like again going back to the blue for high series I remember them talking about poverty and domestic violence as well as gang and street life things that I I, like you said girl I'm at home eating high Cheetos watching that's a raven but I was I was flipping through them Mm -hmm. Um, but still just (laughs) touching on that lifestyle which was completely different from my own I don't I'm trying to think of anything else like I said I'm I'm always going to be a reader and make time to pick up a good book I can't get into audiobooks though yeah, I try. I even call, I even tell myself, I'm going to start going on walks and I'm going to listen to audiobooks, but audiobooks give me the best opportunity to zone out. Yeah. And think about other things. 
because I feel like in that way I don't zone out when I listen to podcasts but I kind of do podcasts that way and I listen to them but I'm multitasking so I love a good true crime podcast but I often find myself listening to them while I'm actually working which I feel like a book that's not gonna always be the best bet because it's gonna be like five chapters later and I'm like wait what happened what they talking about who this new character (laughs) no I um podcasts are cool but like I don't I don't when you're listening to an audiobook you need to keep up with the plot you need to keep up with like little things and like I'm just not I'm not gonna do that and if I'm driving I'm definitely spacing out I'll listen to a podcast on a drive but a book mm -mm. yeah I don't I don't see it for me um now I was gonna say was there anything else that you wanted to touch on regarding uh nor I know we kind of ventured off into more so talking about books but was there anything else you wanted to share no I think we pretty much summed it up this was really fun like I could talk about books all day um you and, me and sometimes I feel like when people put me on the spot about books I'm like Oh, I should be able to show that I'm a wealth of knowledge, but I can't think of anything except Twilight. <laughs> that the way that book had us in a chokehold, there needs to be case uh, I studies. Went book, I went to a book release party at Barnes and Noble, and it was from like 8 p.m. till midnight, and they taught us how to do the dance from Thriller, and there was like free hot cocoa and all sorts of stuff. And for I, Twilight. I for Twilight, it was when Breaking Dawn came out and it was the last book in the series. Wow. <laughs> and I went to the store and I like put in my name like a few days before so I could have my pre-order. And I was like number 42 or something like that. And I, I remember when midnight hit, we, we get in line to get our books and it was really cool. Twilight was a unique time to be a it part of. It was all teenage girls there and it was so cool. It was like imagine a bookstore hosting like 200 teenage girls from eight to midnight and at midnight like a new book drops what kind of nerdy shit is that <laughs> so we all went to it and could not wait and but I love nerdy shit like, like that I feel like I still love things like that because fandoms in itself it kind of speaks to the person you are so whichever fandom you fall into it kind of tells you who you are because even though I got into Twilight I didn't get into Harry Potter nor did I get into um like the Chronicles of Narnia or man they made us read that in school Chronicles of Narnia I went to a Christian school and C.S. Lewis was a Christian author and like he wrote a lot of things but Chronicles of Narnia was his most popular uh series because he also had like Prince Caspian and mm-hmm. like all of those all of those characters went together in that universe, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they made us read Chronicles of Narnia. And I actually really liked it. And when the, when the movie came out, when the movie came out, my teachers, so we had two fifth grade classes and they were husband and wife, the mm-hmm. teachers were. And so when the movie came out, they rented out the theater at the at St. Louis Mills. And we all went up there on a Saturday as like a field trip on a Saturday and like we got popcorn it was like we low-key had a lock-in at the theater to see uh Chronicles of Narnia and then it came out on uh Xbox and my dad bought it for me (laughs) wow wow loved it it. literally I think the only fandom I fell into was Twilight that was the only one that I could keep up with and be engaged with Harry Potter I like the movies but it was always so much shit going on I was like 
I got way too much shit going on. And like, I liked Harry Potter and I read them on my own pace. And I remember I would take the jackets off the books because I didn't want anybody to ask wait, me what wait, I was wait. reading and want to talk about it. Why? Okay, so we gonna wrap it up after this, y'all. But why did this make me just really remember this guy that I dated? We were randomly talking about stuff one time. And I remember he mentioned being a kid and really liking Harry Potter. And his auntie burned one of his books because she said it was witchcraft. I had a friend whose parents like said the same thing, wouldn't let him come to the Harvest Festival because they were like, we don't celebrate Halloween. They were like, Harry Potter is magic. And when you watch it, like, not they're not even doing anything demonic they're not they're making up words and trying to get the evil people out literally it's and very it's time where it's very childlike it's literally, not dark harry's fine ron's fine weasley's fine like hermione's fine like everyone's literally just having a good time and just playing a little magic like it's literally just like Bro. Me, me me trying to get my dad to let me go to hogwarts it's literally like not even that bad dad <laughs> I just remember when he mentioned this because I, I don't even know how we he brought it up, but I was literally on the ground crying because he was like, my auntie literally burned up my book because she was like, this is very impossible. <laughs> I think he was like, his family was West Indian too. So I don't think it helped because they was already like, you read wants. Yeah, and they like, the thing is like, now if it was like, a Ouija series I could get that you know like I wouldn't go for that personally either but like Harry Potter where it's like look at the premise of the story like Harry Potter had many black households in a tizzy baby when here and then you gotta remember Harry Potter was like right in the thick of uh terrorist attack stuff and all that propaganda that was going on because the book I think the first book came out in like 99 but it came out in the UK first it wasn't popular in the U.S. Because mm. like the first book in the U.S., it's called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. But in the U.K., it's called something different because it came out there first. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Not okay, mm. book knowledge. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Oh, in the U.K., it's called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's uh, Stone. Okay. But that, okay, US, that, sounds, that sounds familiar. Because I do remember, though, the old school Harry Potter covers, like, mm. Before mm-hmm. it started yeah. getting the popularity in the movies, before they started were taking out. it there, yeah, yes, um, yes. So that yeah. might have been the disconnect because that was the first book. So like sorcery versus philosophy, doesn't that sound horrible? Yeah, I mean, I know I am. I'm very much a new age thinker in in different things. So if my kids was even reading about witchcraft, I'd be like, "That's your life. Do what you want to do. Just don't do it on me. Feel free." <laughs> Don't bring that in here. Do that in your spare time outside of the house, please. And if do you not know the math problems, like you knew that witchcraft, you wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys, moving on to the very last segment of the show, we have you are drove. So, for all my nine St. Louis's, this is a term for when you are mad sad confused or just plain oblivious to how you thought a situation will work out in your favor and it technically did it so you a little bit drove um this week's segment I had to bring it up y'all I couldn't let it go by no it's been in the news heavily and I wanted to I want to speak on it and I want I want to end it but Will Smith has resigned from the Academy. Um, 
following the smack that was heard around the world, Willard Smith announced on Friday night that he was resigning from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science. And it came just days after he slapped Chris Rock during the Oscars um, last Sunday. And he followed his public apology to the comedian. In his resignation, Smith stated that he is heartbroken and added that he would like to put the focus back on those who deserve attention for their achievements and allow the Academy to get back to the incredible work it does supporting creativity and artistry in film. Um, Like I said, it's been in the news everywhere. This is something that people have debated heavily in regards to if he was justified and if he was not. So Will went ahead and stepped up and just relinquished his privilege of being a voting member of the Academy. He will still retain his Oscar for Best Actor and can be nominated for future consideration by the Academy as well as attend um, future ceremonies. So this does not mean that he got to give his Oscar back or anything of that narrative, which I feel like was going around a lot. Um, well, I feel like I wouldn't say he's exactly drove. I I just, I don't see why it's ensued as much as it has. Like we've heard of worse, we've seen worse. Um, and I personally don't think he was wrong nor should have to resign from the Academy. Um, all in all, Will Smith has been the butt of a few jokes since 2020. And we couldn't get away from the word entanglement for three to four months. So. And I loved it. It's, I feel like it's easy to see how somebody can react in the manner that he did after being provoked, you know? And even though it is out of character for him, like everybody knows Will Smith is hitch being funny, laid back, so forth. Uh, I still just think it showcased that he, he's fed the fuck up if anything um I don't think it ruined his image but more so just pushed him into a light that he didn't want lashing out was a bit extreme but then again Chris Rock got on stage in front of all of these people and national audiences and hit a raw nerve and sometimes you just have it up to here I'm pointing at my forehead y'all but you just you be fucking done and I feel like that's that's where he was at when he went up there. He smacked this man. Um, only wishing the best for him moving forward. I know this doesn't have anything to do with Bel Air, but I love the new Peacock series. Great show. I think y'all should tune in. I think y'all should continue supporting Will Smith. If y'all want to continue supporting Chris Rock, go for it. Um, but that's something that happened between them. At the end of the day, we're just spectators. I I, I don't have a net worth that is in alignment with either of them so hey who am i <laughs> who As am for i me on the subject uh i don't have any thoughts but what i will say is that the noir bookshop has two copies of williams uh willard's autobiography will on stock now you can find that at the noirbookshop.com backslash shop hey get it while you can get it while it's hot y'all because I know y'all want to hear about this man's life. And I mean, I feel like Will Smith is an interesting 
actor in person in general, just his own background, his own life, um, all of the immense success that he's garnered over the years and him continuing to be relevant, not so much for his antics, but for his acting. I feel like that's only happened recently again. Um, but overall, I don't feel like Will Smith is going to stop putting out great movies and being a great actor, you know? He's still going to be booked and busy. He is. He is. And I feel like all of these commentators who are kind of honing in on the negativeness and saying, oh, he's volatile. I can't believe I sat there and encountered that. It was so traumatic. Like, move on move on you're good even these other actresses and actors you're going to continue to make money I I doubt this will affect you I really the only question that I have about the entire situation whose idea was it to say you know what perspective we need Jim Carrey call him get him on the line we want to hear what he has to say about this specifically and put a camera in his face we need an exclusive whose thought was it well that's I don't a good need an point rhetorical <laughs> good point though because I mean I thought the same thing when I heard of a lot of these actor uh, actors responses. was he even there probably not the honestly the funniest response and the most relevant response was Lakeith Stanfield niggas get slapped every day <laughs> he really was like in certain places in the world he was these like things hey, happen all the time these things happen all the time has nothing to do with me because I was not the person who was slapping or got slapped. So at the end of the day, I think it's best that they handle it and we move on, mm-hmm. which was very well said for Lakeith. Uh, <laughs> but you guys, that is it for this week's episode. Again, um, this was wonderful. I enjoyed having Imani on for the second time technically but having her on to discuss the Nora bookshop as well as her own background her own love of books what this means for her community and what she is continuing to do to inspire other women like herself um do you want to tell my listeners where they can find you in any upcoming news that you have yeah, so you can definitely find us on Instagram at the Noir Bookshop. That's T H E N O I R B O O K S H O P and noirbookshop.com. You also find us on Twitter at the Noir Bookshop as well. Okay, you guys, I'm going to drop all that information into the description for this week's episode so you can easily click and follow and keep up with all the latest updates for the Noir Bookshop, but you know, my St. Louis St. Louis listeners, get out and support. Just because you listening to this episode don't mean nothing. We need you to show up and show out. So any events, any books, come on, get to it. Also, it's about to be the summertime. I feel like you need to find more time to relax and unwind in the sun. So as you guys are planning these hot girl vacations to Miami, take a book with you while you waiting at the airport. Because who knows? They might cancel your flight like they did me and you'll need some <laughs> reading material. But the get, But again, you guys, that is it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Annoyed Not Offended with See It. Have a question or interested in sharing an annoyance of your own to be read on the show? Email annoyednotoffended at gmail.com. Also, 
Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Annoyed Not Offended for more hilarious content and updates on the show. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, bye.